bippity boppity boop. Recording. Recording. Will you say something, Luke? Hi. According to some, video killed other things. The radio star. Video's a murderer. It is. Hey, speaking of which, I've been reading a lot of books about how video is a murderer. It's been fascinating. (laughs) So I've been painting the upstairs playroom terribly bad. I mean, like, I'm a terrible painter. But uh, I've been... kill, Kill your video really quick. I keep trying to. Right click, camera... Choose video settings. No, you just you don't right there click. You just click. There no, you I know. I clicked it left click like three times, and it wouldn't turn off. So then I right. Oh, sure. Uh huh. Uh huh. That's what they all say. Who, Luke? Who says that? Who? I want all. names. <laughs> no, I knew I was going to be doing a lot of painting upstairs and moving furniture and doing all that stuff. So I got six audiobooks: uh, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. Uh, Jordan Peterson's Maps of Meaning, which he came out with before he became, like, you know, famous for the transgender yeah. law stuff. Um, so it's like his psychology, the origin stories of his psychology. And yep. uh, and then what did I get? I got a bunch of Neil Postman books. Um, and then this one book by uh, Neil Postman. Yeah, he wrote the book called Amusing Ourselves to Death. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's but then he wrote right. a book called How to Watch Television News. And then he wrote another book called The Death of Childhood. And there's one more that I'm not putting my finger on. But uh, And they're all audible audiobooks. So I was like, cool, these are from the 90s. I'm going to get these books. So it's going to be awesome. And then because I have that, I recommended this book called like Into the Shallows or Out of the Shallows. Let me see here. By Nicholas Carr, The Shallows. There you go. What the Internet is doing to our brains. And it's it's like all the stuff that the philosopher and professor Neil Postman talks about in the 90s this guy talks about television this guy talks about the internet in you know the 20 teens using the language of neuroplasticity and brain science and it is fascinating are we all doomed is that what it's saying well so the, the the main point of it is of both of them is reading produces a different type of brain so if you have a brain that grows via the encounter of the written word, you think sequentially, logically, and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, if you have a brain, and that's only made possible by mass distribution—excuse me—by mass distribution of um, movable type, printable type. So Gutenberg, the printing press, all of that stuff. He said before that, it's all the spoken word. And while that is logical, you know, and it does all this other stuff, because most of the spoken word was reading. They were lectures. They were reading from papers. Um, the it, it just is a fundamentally different way of the way your brain is formed. And then with the dissolution of reading as a common practice, as a daily activity, um, and the viewing of television, they said that the brain becomes incapable of prolonged focus, attention. Um, it actually, its memory withers to the point where things spoken just a few moments before are quickly forgotten. Um, and it's a, a mind that craves images as the primary stimulus. And so uh, it, it's huh. just fascinating. Like, And so the idea of... Like Neil Postman's idea was you can see in the language the breakdown. Like he uses this line from Karl Marx who says like 
in the age of the printing press, Homer's uh, epic poetry, right? The the Iliad and the Odyssey never would have been produced. It wouldn't. They wouldn't have been capable of writing that because the culture sustained the oral tradition first. And so now it's like in the age of machine, what will we create? And uh, so Nicholas Carr's whole argument is it creates an incapacity for ongoing deep thought and logical sequential thought. And both Neil Postman, you know, and so that's why uh, using Marshall McClure's famous phrase, the medium is the message. Uh, Neil Postman takes off from that, who he studied under McClure, who's a Canadian Catholic. We get it, Rebecca. He's awesome. And uh, <laughs> one of our Patreon supporters <laughs> like, no, it was Neil Mc- or, uh, Marshall McClure who said that. Not, I don't even know who Neil Postman is. And he's a Catholic. Ah. Listen, and Neil- this, is, this is what America does. We take things and then we own it. Yeah, we do. The two greatest things ever come out of Britain was the United States and the Beatles. Freedom. <laughs> Prove me wrong. Um, so, anywho, the uh, <laughs> the <laughs> Neil Post, the whole medium is the message is that, like in that TV news book, they they do these like massive surveys of people and they ask them who watch, whether it's your local evening news or like Tom Brokaw or uh, who's a famous newscaster from the sixties and seventies, Walter Cronkite. Walter Cronkite. Yeah, they'll ask like, what did they talk about, and the people can't really recall it. They can see images and maybe might be able to bring that up, but they can't recall it. Whereas if you read a chapter, although today that's becoming harder and harder because our brains are developing differently. He said, if you read a chapter, you have a much deeper comprehension. I can say that's true with, I'm, I'm reading a book on the, the spirit of early Christian thought. And I listen to a ton of audiobooks, and I'm like, holy crap, <laughs> I barely remember the audiobooks, And I in depth remember this beautiful, you know, obviously it takes much longer, but. Well, and that's one of the challenges of um, with like you know it's just it's it's hard because so like one thing I think that really makes all, all of all of this difficult is we build our lives around in a way that you can't for for the most part who can just drop an hour to a night to read a book yeah now I think you could probably do about a half hour. But, it, you know, to really read all the stuff that you might want to do and really, to, you know, and to, and to compare it to, you know, because there is reading and then there's reading. Yeah. So there's like I'm going to just like understand what's going on in this book. And then there's the other levels where I'm going to, you know, understand what are the themes? How did it come to this point? What's the point the author is trying to make and how does how does you know he make it? How does this compare to other books about the same thing? How does this compare to other books? In general, yeah. and that takes a lot of time and work. Now, I think sometimes we can go a little bit over because so that's all based on how to read a book by yeah. something, something, something um, <laughs> by Mortimer Adler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love and it's, it, it's good, but I, you know, it's 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 fantastic. But I do think you can get you can become too too um, devoted to that. You know, uh, especially when it comes to things like speed reading and how you you know read it and other things that like it can almost kind of take the fun out of it at yeah. times. Yeah. But and I, I don't I don't think it's the only way to read is his way. I do think it's a very good way, especially if you want to do those other those other levels. Now, my point is, I think our entire culture now is we don't have the t- we we have created it in such that we do not have the time to do that. 
because that takes effort and work and we just people like what is everyone always going to say i don't have time well at some point in time people did have but sorry i'm i, I am i'm using the word time a lot within our uh, within our culture people have the ability to do that and have kids and have jobs and have a life and cook and you know and do and do everything that seems to consume our time and so i one of the one of the challenging parts i think is to if you really want to read and go down. So this is a rabbit hole that I've been down for a couple of years now. Um, it actually takes much more like a fundamental, like a pretty big uh, paradigm change than what you might actually expect. Yeah. And that's basically the argument of all of these books from a philosophical way, from a, a linguistic literary way, and from a neuroplasticity way. They're basically saying, because we don't teach people how to um, – we don't have the discipline of learning through reading, uh, what ends up happening is um, it becomes more and more difficult to even approach the text. And thus, people don't want to read. Uh, and thus, there is a failure of – of logical thinking there is a failure of you know and there's and there's much to be praised about it i mean the the use of images can really stick with you and stuff but and they do and they do that they do a fairly balanced thing but they're saying like on the whole it's far worse and then he went on to describe so one of the books how to watch tv news was done with a um was co-authored with a tv journalist right so this is not just old man yelling at clouds right so <clears throat> The cool thing about it was – or the, the interesting part of that earlier book written in the 90s was the the problem with TV – and this picks up with amusing ourselves to death – is television forces the national conversation about electing presidents and all this stuff into micromanaged sound bites and beauty pageants. So, you know, JFK and Nixon, right, famously – you know, they they even talk about like his makeup, Nixon's makeup artist costume or, or his hairstylist costume, the election or, you know, like whatever it might be. But then he I mean, he talks about it. He says, just look at the Lincoln Douglas debate and look at the Reagan debate because, you know, he's writing in the early 90s. So he's referencing the Reagan debates um, and just look at how those debates went on. After, like, for the Lincoln-Douglas debate, and Lincoln was a, a, an unknown senator, you know, in Illinois. He wasn't a popular figure. The whole crowd packed. It was The place was packed. Um, and these are just average citizens. And the debate was seven – the first night of the debate was seven hours long. And the opening remarks was an hour and a half address done by Douglas. Then Lincoln stands up to give his address, looks around and says, listen, it's five o'clock in the evening. You're all going to be hungry. Everyone go home and get dinner and come back here at 615 and let's begin. And they went to like one o'clock in the morning and you combine that with like the absurdity of the Democrat um, debates where you have 15 people given a minute and 30 seconds to state their, pol their foreign policy. You know, and the, so the medium is the message. You can't, I mean, you could, this is where like YouTube, I feel like sometimes might save us. Like you have using, you know, bringing up Jordan Peterson, the whole thing, like he became famous because he did three hour long lectures from a psychoanalytic perspective of the book of Genesis, which is interesting and weird, but he has this biblical series and it's being watched by people who would call themselves maybe six months earlier, the new atheists, right? These young 
hothead college kids who are very proudly anti-theology. Now they're watching this in the in the tune of millions of downloads, and they're three-hour-long lectures. College kid, yeah, yeah, yeah blasting. You got a T-shirt that says "I'm an atheist." Ask me a question. You've got you and your uh, your. Uh, I'm trying to think of what college kids listen to. Uh, I have no idea anymore. Holy <laughs> you cow. and your <laughs> dance floor <laughs> panic at the disco. <laughs> right you and your uh so listen you and your band of horses and you're the national and the decemberist i assume still <laughs> I, I literally don't know i literally have no reference well that's because we went to steubenville and made it sorry i'm right by a street i should not be by um the we best part is you that, oscillate between a street and a tree with a lot of birds and i'm like edit 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 <laughs> Uh, you'll be fine. Listen, people, I'm, I have I have a ten day year old baby. Deal with it. Um, <laughs> is there something interfering with your happiness, or is it preventing you from achieving your goals? Well, I started going to therapy probably about maybe four months ago, maybe three months ago, and I just kind of realized that healing is something that the Lord wants us to receive. But healing is always an invitation from God. Quite often, He asks people to, to you know take a step out. We have to take action, and a great way to do that is through a group called BetterHelp. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own um, licensed professional therapist. How about that? You can start communicating in just under um, 48 hours. It is not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is it is professional counseling done securely online. The service is available for clients worldwide. You can um, log into your account anytime, and I'm going to send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and um, thoughtful uh, responses. Plus, you can schedule a um, weekly video or phone obsession so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. Those are weird as with traditional therapy better help is committed to um, facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available so that's great unlike some colleges better help wants you to start on living a happier life today go to betterhelp.com slash foxes that's h-e-l-p again betterhelp.com slash foxes you're going to get 10 percent off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash foxes i honestly like just through uh, people in my uh, own life that i know have really enjoyed i'm using better help so if you're I'm thinking about doing this i really encourage you to do so they are great to work with and we can get you 10 10 off by going to betterhelp.com slash slash foxes sorry that's just um one slash that was my speech impediment betterhelp.com slash foxes thank you to better help for sponsoring this episode of catching foxes the fascinating thing of like how they were laying that out, it just it just gripped me because the the whole point is you begin thinking in the way of the medium in which you distribute. So you begin thinking like people say this all the time. I love Twitter. It got me to be much more concise and precise with my language. You know, and, and people talk like that all the time and we don't realize that it it's shaping us even more than that, the neuroplasticity side of it. So Nicholas Carr in the book, The Shallows, he goes through, he's like, why are our brains so plastic? And he goes through the whole history of neurological science regarding can brains change and can brains themselves once formed be reformed and make new connections. And it was fascinating to see like that kind of historic history of science kind of unfold but the the biggest thing that he talks about is this is what makes us superior to all other animals. Our neural plasticity means we can adapt through reason to our environment. 
it becomes dangerous when our environment isn't snow, jungle, forest, desert, you know, wild animals of this type or that type, but computers, machines, and city life. Because mm-hmm. now the fight or flight response that a bear gave me <laughs> is now the same order of fight or flight response when I get a somewhat ambiguous and negative email from my boss. You yeah. know? <laughs> yeah. So it's like, oh, I'm so paralyzed with anxiety. Why? An email. But your body doesn't know it's an email. Your brain doesn't know it's an email. It just fires off your cortisol and adrenaline and all that stuff. So he, he was just saying, like, the, the 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 fascinating stat was you can watch a documentary for an hour and it'll contain less information than one page of a newspaper. Holy cow. And then when you when you put that in perspective now obviously it's different forms of information, visual, audio, whatever. But yeah. then there becomes this need of if it is on the television, it has to be entertaining because that's the medium. The mm-hmm. medium is entertaining. And so that's why I said, like, YouTube can save us because just watching a guy give a lecture, well, I do that all the time on double speed to be sure, but I do that all the time. There are the birds. Um, and the whole uh, – <laughs> so, like, the idea of stepping back from things that keep your mind in the shallows is, like, the healthiest thing we can do. And so, like, someone made the remark, you can't build a, a, a massive enterprise like Facebook if you're always checking your Facebook account. The people who work at Facebook don't live their lives checking and commenting and like and following. They're on the back end doing this incredible algorithmic deep work, machine learning, blah, blah, blah. They're not dicking around on Facebook. They want you to do that so that they can buy and sell who you are. And it was so fascinating hearing this book written in the 90s of um, TV news and why, like they say, on average, the most they can spend on any story is two minutes for a 30-minute program. Because it's actually a 22-minute program with the rest devoted to commercials. Yeah. And so because the medium is every single viewer we can possibly get, the message must be dumbed down if they're going to make enough advertising dollars. So they want to re- – that's why it's called mass media. They want to reach the masses. And then so they go through the history of – advertising in news media and how is this one guy who put an ad in a newspaper and sold it for a penny instead of like three pennies or five pennies, which is what it would have cost. And he brought the he, so he became the first like mass distributed uh, newspaper, all, you know, most paid for by advertising, but he needed to get more advertising. So it changed the message. It changed the articles. The articles had to be more appealing to everyone. So then celebrity gossip enters, right? Then yeah. uh, sports isn't just a recording of the scores. It's like becomes, you know, the fanaticism that is ESPN, the Ocho. Hell yes. And all that stuff. <laughs> hey, listen, let's, it's, it's not all bad. <laughs> it's just mostly bad. Okay. Let's just not, let's, let's listen, let's let sports be. <laughs> let, let's leave sports alone. It never did anything to you besides rob you of your childhood. Let's move on. <laughs> it's your parents who did it through sports. Yeah, very clear here. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know that's and you actually. So okay, actually, I'm going to use sports as the as the example here. My favorite podcasts now are ones that do tactical analysis. It's become a little. It's become very trendy now. But probably about five or six years ago, maybe maybe probably going back to 2014. So this is a podcast that, that I like that I talked about a bunch called the Total Soccer Show. And what I really enjoy about it is they refuse to do hot takes. Yeah. They absolutely – now, they will do like 
now, now they do have a show called Quick Take, Quick Take, Quick Take Hot Take, which is right, which is right after a game. But they're not going for like sound bites. They're going for like, here's my first impression. That's you know, that's as, as opposed to, here's my, uh, you know, well crafted, um, angry rant. Yeah. Um, and it um, I think those shows have really taken off because people enjoy like people will go if you if you're if you have like a niche thing you can have the freedom to go and do this really in-depth cool and awesome thing that people will you know will will actually like and that i think is the opportunity that we have right now is that we're kind of because of the internet we are past the point where the only way to make money off of content is to appeal to the broadest audience possible. Yeah. If anything, it's now you have to appeal to the most specific audience possible. Yeah. And that's really cool. Yeah. But the problem is still this, um, the, the entertaining piece, I think it's still kind of, and this is all just off the top of my head. It's still, it's, it's kind of ingrained in how we need to do stuff. Yeah, you know, so I look like think about all the complaints we got when our foes when our foe when we first started catching uh, catching foxes, you know, we went an hour, hour and a half, two hours at times. Yeah, and and a lot of people were like, "Can you break this down to a half hour? You have to like." We got so many people, so many who yeah. said thirty minutes. Any one guy said fifty nine minutes, just anything less than an hour, and it's like we're going to an hour and a half. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like that's not what this is, you know. And I'm like, it's not like sorry, <laughs> like, I, I don't care. Like it's not what this is. Yeah. And um, and I think it's been kind of now we we tend to our goal is to keep stuff to about an hour, you know. And yeah. but I do think there's this element of um, when you say it has to be this well packaged, polished thing that it just it really does. It's because it's not about understanding. Like, like that's a key part of, my, of the book, um, amusing ourselves to death is you really don't actually understand what's really going on. You're just kind of barely paying attention. Yeah. And this is why a religion gets turned into like, you know, old creepy dudes trying to sell holy handkerchiefs to like gullible old people. Yeah. You know, and or and because it just it ha- it it doesn't have to have any kind of depth or anything, and it just t- turns into this thing that just like why do you and this is why I always think like I want to look at people like why do you think people like hate Christianity because when like they think of it they think of Benny Hinn and they think of people taking advantage of other people and all like the stuff that's actually really bad yeah like, so the he, things they hate about it they should yeah and so he has a whole. Um, session in there, or excuse me, chapter. <laughs> Yikes, I am thinking in terms of an online video. Uh, he has a whole <laughs> Zoom class. No, he has a whole chapter on it uh, where the, the author, Neil Postman, sits on the United Church of Christ Council or something like that, like the National Council. And so he talks specifically about, and it's awesome, this whole chapter on the use of television as a corrupting thing within Christianity. And uh, he's like, obviously, the idea of mass appeal uh, or of mass reach is is what drives people. Like, they want to spread the gospel. Look, here's this message broadcast. He said, 
but people aren't as aware of how the medium itself will alter the message. So then you need to have, like, you and I all know, like, when you watch a, you know, when there'll be, like, these pro-woman campaigns where famous actresses will take off all their makeup and put up a no, hashtag no filter, no makeup photo on, like, Instagram. You know, these things surface every so often. <clears throat> like, you and I both know, like, whoa, like, yeah, right? Because you're used to the highly polished, right? Whenever I give a talk and I record it, and it's not a live stream, and I post it, if my hair is out of place, I'm like, oh my gosh, how can people even listen? You know, when I did those uh, Ascension Press videos, we had extras in the background. People tell me that all they do is watch the extras. Like, they don't even listen to me. And it's so funny, it it, it, which is hilarious. It's true. Um, because So then you begin to say, okay, well, I, I need to... Then you immediately start reshaping everything and reprioritizing for the medium. And that's the subtlety of when the message gets corrupted. And he even mentions Archbishop Fulton Sheen. I didn't even know this, but, uh, you know, he was just teaching. He wasn't offering worship services, which is kind of the point of the message, like online worship services. And he was talking about how there were a lot of Catholics who were deeply critical of Archbishop Fulton Sheen for trying to sum up the Eucharist in 20 minutes or less, you know. And I was like, oh, wow, that's kind of fascinating. I didn't think of that. Because, um, like, how many of us can now do a talk on it in five? <laughs> how many? You know, I mean, really. Both my bread and my butter. Um, <laughs> but I just found it, I found it so funny because um, I want to contrast all of that with this thing that we did yesterday in a staff meeting where we watch these videos from this leading thought influencer in the evangelical world. I'd and rather he, die. I know, right? And he has this thing on disrupted church because of coronavirus. And mm -hmm. disrupted, he, good God! Right, so that—that's what he calls sorry, it. Sorry, no, I'm sure it was good. I'm just, it's just no. And I'll show. I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes to the videos. They're interesting, and the guy's very insightful, like culturally. And he like yeah. lays out. He's like, you know, and it was very similar to your thing, your statement that you made about like the the recovery, and we're not yet in the recovery. Whatever those three stages are, what is it like? Mm -hmm. uh, progress. No, sorry. Pers uh, Perseverance, regression, recovery. Yeah. And so he kind of maps it somewhat similarly. But then when he's talking about it in this context of the whole church in the United States, um, he has this – he comes up with the seven disruptions that are um, really hitting the church. And it's all uh, like how do you change? And he said the church needs to become a digital first place. And he says, what do I mean by that? And it's it's very telling that this non-denominational evangelical guy looks to the business world and all of his references are market analysis, right? Yep. Um, and he says, you know, when you know you have all these big box retailers and then they consolidate into there's just Lowe's and there's just Home Depot and there's a couple of stragglers around, but it's really just those two. And then you have all these other retailers, and then now it consolidates to really it's just Target and it's just Walmart. And they kind of put their niche out there, and it just becomes those two. And he says, you're going to watch the market consolidation of churches as smaller churches fail because they can't sustain themselves during this. And people, they don't go to a newer or – uh, it's not converts to Christianity. It's just people shifting from small churches that are failing into larger churches. So then he said, be prepared for larger churches to get even larger. And I was like, no, no. Well, and here's the thing that sucks about that is that with these like, okay, so there's a big church here called, uh, called Crossroads. Right. I've been there. Basically. Yeah. 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 We, uh, we, it's a really like, 
I mean, I like I, I don't I like how they use their space. Let me just put yeah. it that way. I wish more Catholic churches would do what, what they do, actually. But anyways, um, they started by people. There were P&G execs because P&G is based out of Cincinnati. All of your products come from there, from those who don't know who they are, like all of them. <laughs> um, yeah. And they said, hey, how can we use like what we've learned at P&G to really create a church to grow? And, they, and their whole point is like you it's for people who are at the quote unquote crossroads of their faith. So the idea is that they go there, then go back to their like place of faith. So they are like, it's actually the biggest Catholic church in the, oh, yeah. in the archdiocese. Oh yeah. hundred It's where the most Catholics go to go to church. Quote unquote is actually at crossroads. And so according to their standards, they're a huge success. Yeah. And what, and they have all these satellite campuses now and they stream their, their pastor does his message and it's all like stream there, which is a monstrosity in my opinion. And absolute, that is, I hate that, <laughs> the passion. I think that is borderline evil. What, like, it's video, just, they call it video church. It's so dehumanizing. It's yeah. just so prepackaged. Oh my gosh. I'm like, St. Paul would call you out so hard if he knew what was going on right now. Like he would like your balls would just shrivel up. You'd be so like humiliated. I wonder what St. Paul would say to you. (laughs) (laughs) It would be like when like Aaron little screamed at me during spiritual direction. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, I am a jerk. Um, so my point is, but according to the metrics that they use, they're growing and they're doing everything right. Yeah. And that's what's tough about this stuff is that we is that we live in such and I, I am not saying it's good or bad to have metrics. I think they're very good and the right thing. But I, I think quite often in church we use the wrong ones. Yeah. And we use them and the we basically only use them as an end as opposed to a means. Right. And we tend to do tend to have like vertical ones as opposed to horizontal ones. And anyways, I have a whole thing about that. Right. Feel, feel, feel free to hire me, and we'll and we will work this out, everyone. But uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, well, no, and so like, like the, this guy talked about how everyone initially at the initial loss of being able to go to their church live streaming just shot through the roof. And I can attest to the fact that we already had live streaming for shut-ins. Like that was kind of like for shut-ins for people who physically couldn't come to the church building. You know, uh, maybe they're they're in a retirement home and they're confined to a bed they could at least have someone live stream it for them, right? And we made it super easy. It was on Facebook and stuff. But we had that, and that was the purpose. Well, we already had that stuff in place, so we just rolled it over to, well, we're going to live stream every single mass. We're going to do all this. Um, and he, the guy in the, the disrupt thing, he said, yeah, that's going to be every single church. You're going to have this massive boom, and then it's going to have a huge drop. And that's what he called, like, what you said, the regression, right? He said people are going to pull back. They're going to get really sick and tired of it, blah, blah, blah. And then you're going to start seeing um, once the church makes a shift to digital first, then you're going to start seeing people come back to the church digitally. So he's like, just look at like like you got a big box retailer. Everyone defines themselves by the location and the building. Now where do you shop? You shop on Amazon first. Now, after Amazon is digital first, they open up certain retail things. You know, they acquire Whole Foods and do all this stuff. And he said, that's exactly how the church needs to think. you got to be digital first. And that has, he said, digital first that has, uh, 
physical locations, not a physical location that also has a website. Yeah. See, that's going to kill everything, man. Yeah. I, I, I think he's, I think he's right. As in there will, I wouldn't be surprised if there is this big upswing at first, but it lacks roots and it's not real and it's fake. And your nature is going to revolt against that. And you're going to just, and what's going to happen is people are going to go, God doesn't exist. This is all a bunch of bullshit. I, yeah. I'm, I'm out. And the reason why they're going to do that, I mean, just imagine if every single priest tried to play the role of Joel uh, Olstein. Olstein, yep. Right? That's the tendency. That's where you go because you have to talk to the camera. You have to talk to the crowd. You have to talk to your audience. I mean, I've done these short little messages for my church. We did this thing called the Holy Hour of Hope where we just live streamed. I gave like a 30-minute message. And the whole purpose of that was to prepare people for – it really was to prepare people for doing the, the, the liturgy of the word at home with your family. So we gave them a ton of resources that they could go through. Like Dr. Scott Hahn, we gave them like his breakdown of the scripture passage. We had all sorts of resources that we were giving basically the heads of household to lead their family in a liturgy of the word. And I, I mean, like you sit there and all you have is an empty church and a camera. You're not connecting with anyone when you feel like you're connecting with everyone or when you're attempting to. So, I mean, you can understand that in that moment, all they have is this static visual image of me. Yeah. And yeah. so I have to make sure, well, I like screamed here. I have to make sure that that image of me is looking good, non-distracting, you know, whatever it might be. And so you don't realize how you begin to shift. Hey, nerds, I want to introduce you to something both random and beautiful, like Luke in a pair of skinny jeans, and that's Sock Religious. Yeah! I know what you're thinking. Uh, so, like, religious socks? But these socks are actually quite great because Sock Religious, you may not know this, is the number one largest Catholic sock company in the world. Probably. They are a mom-and-pop online store run by people who not only love their Catholic faith, but celebrate more feast days than anyone else this side of Rome. Their number one goal is to bring joyful Catholic products to the world to start more conversations about our faith. I mean, think about it. If someone thinks Catholicism is boring, snobbish, and lame, and then they see your socks, their argument is immediately rendered invalid, and Jesus will give them the grace of regeneration right there, born again. Boom! Thank you, Sock Religious. Each pair is designed by creative director Madison Suppose. Lady, sip it. By Madison, who first studies the life of the saint and then prays about the work. Now think about this. This isn't a flat drawing or even a painting, but a three-dimensional design knit into the fabric. All adult socks fit men's 5 to 11 and women's 7 to 12. I'm about 11 and a half, and they fit me nicely. Head on over to SockReligious.com today to get your pair in the mail and spice up your Sunday best with these sick socks. I recommend St. Benedict and St. Francis as my two favorite designs. So thank you very much to Sock Religious for sponsoring this episode of catching foxes. I think digital first is just how we're going to do education, but you can't call that formation. You can call it. And, and uh, I'm reading this wonderful book called the teaching, the art of teaching the Christian faith, I think. And it was a book that was required reading for catechists at Fran catechetical majors at Franciscan. And it was written in like the sixties. And the whole thing this guy says is like, we need to get away from religious education and get back to religious instruction because instruction is living in a way of life. This is how they, this guy defined it. Whereas, because you're instructing them in how to do the thing, not just educating their minds on what a thing is. 
And he said, mm-hmm. and you can only do yeah. that within the context of the family and within the living Christian community and within the sacramental practice. And the moment you reduce it to just a class where we tell you stuff is the moment it fails. And so I was like, holy crap, if this guy's seeing this in 1964. Oh, yeah. Why yeah. are we not like, and he was, he was referencing the, a new movement of using physical images and object lessons, like the revolutionary tool of the Baltimore Catechism, you know. And I, it's just so fascinating to see how we're still having these same arguments and we don't realize. So my big thing for uh, now that I'm overall of youth ministry for my 6th, 7th, and 8th graders, like, we have been warring over how can we keep some connection? Like, do we do we have a 5th grader on a Zoom call after they've been doing Zoom school all day? Yeah. Like, what is that yeah. going to look like for our parents? And parents are not going to want if, – if things keep spiking here in Texas the way they are, they're not going to want to do it. And I was like, okay, we already have a Trojan horse. It's called their parents. So my hope I, yeah. right now, I'm, I'm going to go nuts in trying to educate the parents and teaching the parents how to instruct the kids and what is it going to look like in the domestic church. So I'm going to pour all my time and energy into doing that thing so yeah. that the parents can form their kids. Because I can't via a, a live stream and, uh, you know, uh, on-demand no, content. Yeah, because yeah, it's fake. And it like there's a um I would say it's not fake, it's only one dimensional of a three or four dimensional faith. Well yeah, so it I means it's not it's not it, it's not real. Yeah, it's not enough. Like it's 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 not it's just it's it's going to fall on deaf ears. What do you mean? Fifth graders will think I'm hilarious on YouTube. <laughs> hey guys, I'm but playing like, Minecraft and <laughs> But like and here's I, I guess um hmm. I, ah, man, I'm so sick of talking about it. Sorry, sorry. I'm not tired. I, I, I'm fine of talking about it with you. It's just these are some conversations that I'm just like I had all the time at the archdiocese, and I'm, I was just so over them. Yeah. Uh, but this is what I'll say, if you will allow me to indulge myself Please. for a, for a bit. Um, yeah, I, 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 okay, so the church ha- – now, uh, don't go on any of, of your long rants, okay? Okay. Just say um, yes or no. Yes, sir. The church does have responsibility to like teach the faith, right? Yes. Does the church have to teach specific certain like? Does that mean they have to teach specific stuff? Uh, yes. Because here's the thing: like, I think we're so attached to what we think we have to teach that it, we lose sight. Like, so we have that. So that so, so that like. We have we have the mandate to, you know, teach the faith, right? Yeah. Well, how do you teach why we believe when people don't even have a concept of what belief actually is? Right. And it's so fundamental. We like our culture is so fundamentally broken that we're trying to make this. We're acting like it's the 1800s, and everyone has the same common language, and they don't. Kids right now are so they don't even know what a relationship is yeah so how are you supposed to talk about a relationship with an you know um this intangible idea of god when they don't even know what a relationship is yeah and so like i feel like we're teaching the wrong like like i totally get what you're saying i have no idea like what you guys are you know but i just i would spend if i was in charge of like a parish please one i I just i would just weep 
Yes. <laughs> we all are. We all keep saying the same phrase. I can't get my hands around this problem. Like, I don't because know what to you, do. You can't. You can't yeah. approach it like that. Like, that's a problem. Sorry. As yeah. we approach it like it's a problem to be solved. Like, it's a math equation. Right, because the medium just, is the message. Yeah, it's like, no, exactly. That's like, the that's technica. Like, that's the technica. Yeah. We, that's, we, so, we imitate the machines that, in, that we've created rather so, than seeing the machines as a creation of our hands. So, like, what we've done is we've changed actually what we do. And if we were to, like... Okay, so I once had a woman who I love. Let me get this clear. I love her. And she came into the room. She spoke with all, like a whole bunch of us at the Archdiocese and screamed at us and said, judging by these church attendance numbers, you, you should, all, you should all, like, all be fired. And I was like, who the bleepity bleep are you bleepity bleep? I was really pissed. <laughs> but her point was, like, the church is dying and we're not doing, like, and, like, we are, like, failing at this. And we were all saying, yeah, we know. Like we've known for a long time, um, and we're trying. And uh, but see, her very approach was wrong because she, what she didn't see was that this was a five hundred year old problem. This is not something that just came out of the, like, you know, the sixties. This is not the result of peace, love, and rock and roll. This is the result of Descartes. Like, like this is coming from all of this. This is Protestantism. This is the Enlightenment. This is, this is modernism, postmodernism. It's like Hitler and Napoleon, Thomas Jefferson. All of it produces this. We didn't start the fire. <laughs> Pretty much. Oh, all, all are like five boomers who um, who who listened and got very excited with that. It felt like you and were so, quoting that song, but you weren't. <laughs> and so, and then, and so we're still trying to approach, like, how do we just, we have this stuff that we have to teach. How do we teach it in the right way? And my thing is the stuff you want to teach is the wrong thing. So you're, you're answering the wrong problem in the wrong way. And it is never going to quote unquote work. And so what I really, I, I don't know how you do this. Okay. I, I don't, I don't. I mean, I, I have a couple of ideas, but like, I just, I mean, one of the reasons why I, I why I left the archdiocese was I was like, you know, I'm never going to be given the real power that I would like to, like me and my, um, I just felt like for what I wanted to do, it was just, I'm never really going to work yet. You know? And so it was kind of a, I just got to step away because this isn't going to, going to work, but the church has to fundamentally not change who she is, but like how she exists in the world now, because we still act like we've got to teach these four, you know, catechetical points. And I'm like, I don't think we really do. <laughs> like, I mean, it's good to teach them, but that's not like, that's not going to, I mean, I, again, I forget what all this stuff is. So I apologize. I, I'm like, I guess what I'm trying to say is I think we have to start from such a, like, what is belief? What is like, uh, what is a relationship? Here's a lived experience of, of that. And, it, and it's going to move so slow that it just, you have to like going back to the whole thing. When I said like how you read, if you really want um, to read in a way that's going to impact your life, you have to fundamentally change how you live your life, which means less TV, less internet, like, the, like, you know, not putting your TV in the middle of your living room or something or not having it in a way where your whole living room was built around that. Yeah. The way you shape everything has to change in order for this thing to happen. Like, you know, if I want to play offensive line again, 
which is going to happen, obviously. I'd have to get in really, I just can't just go and do it. You know, I've got to get in really good shape. I have to change the way that I eat. I have to change the way that, like, I, like, work out. And I'm still going to get killed. <laughs> so what would and you I, do at a parish? Practical tips. Um, okay. Uh, let me think about Okay, so a few things is I would just say, like, okay, so, like, me, I would basically move me and Aaron to a house right by right by the church. I would say I'm spending the majority of our money on potlucks and coffee and lunch. Uh, and if, you know, and this is, I would tell the pastor, like, here's the deal. Like, um, what, like find what his strengths are and say, this is what like you're going to do, you know, kind of say like your, I want to play to your strength, so you're not having to having to do all this stuff. And I need you to give me the um, the um, um, authority to do all these other things. And this is all kind of vague still. Uh, but um, how would you do it in the age of coronavirus and quarantine? That's see, no, no, yeah, yeah. That's well, that's a difficult. That's very difficult, obviously. So I think probably with that, what I would do is more just. Um, it's be tough, man. It's gonna be really hard to do, but just calling and just seeing how people are doing, you know. Unless I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how you. I honestly, I don't know how you do this right right now. Yeah. I don't. Like, I think my answer would be to not do it, and to find. I know it's crazy, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how you do it, and it'd be authentic and real. So I think there's in terms of the formation for stuff. So I, I would probably do everything I could to support the parents and all my energy would go into that. And so here are things that you can do with your kids. Here are ways that you can pray as a family. Here's how you can arrange your day. How's it going? Like really coaching parents through all of this. And okay. So yeah, sorry. Here's what I'd do. I would walk along with parents and, and allow and give them what they need for their uh, kids, like for me and coach them um, through that because like the kids they need that lived reality of it right they're only going to get that and it's how it should be anyways so you could approach it through here's our perfect opportunity to do what we really should be doing all along and that's like empowering the parents the best that we can and like good youth ministry I think you would agree is like when you're doing stuff and the kids are there because the parents want them there. So what you're doing is an extension of what the parents want. So you're acting really on behalf and for the parents. Yeah. As opposed to, you know, now that's that's you know way more the exception than than the rule, but that's when like the good stuff happens, right? Yeah. So I would in, in the age of coronavirus it's, I just think I just, I would be, and it's, it's tough because you have a staff of what, like you don't have a very big staff and you have a church of thousands upon thousands of people. So how do you do that? You're kind of forced to do it through, uh, and I don't think it's bad that you're doing these online like videos and stuff. Yeah. I just think it's, um, I, I, I don't know, man. It's, it's, it's hard. It's very, very hard. I do not envy you. Yeah, I I, uh, I keep thinking, I'm like, what the hell? So, like, some of the stuff that you laid out, like, we need to, like, modern minds don't even know how to believe anymore. 
and they don't understand these things. And and it it is shocking. Like when I was reading Nicholas Carr, I think it was Nicholas Carr's book. He read. Uh, he was reading an alchemist from the you know 15th century on where they believe gold came from and he read it and he's like this sentence almost doesn't even make sense it's so unlike the modern mind because you know they believe that gold was the sun is pure gold and its light comes down and it, it heats up the clay and it transmutes the you know and it's all this like this absurd from a scientific perspective right from any perspective it's just an absurd very superstitious claim about where the origin of the element of gold and, it reminds but, me a lot of podcasters' hot takes. <laughs> you know what it is? It's the sun. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why that Randolfo guy is so good. Um, <laughs> but the idea that, like, after he finished that sentence, I was like, holy hell. And the guy just points out, we have no connection to these minds in the way that they saw everything in the world as suffused with heavenly realities. And now you come yeah. today and everything in the world that matters is just matter, right? It's just the material. I only believe what science can prove. Can you prove the validity of that statement? No, you cannot. Therefore, you believe nothing in reality, right? Like the yeah. whole the yeah. whole movement of this. And so, but the funny thing is the catechism of the Catholic Church, and I think it's what you're referencing earlier, the four parts of the catechism, what we believe, right, the creed what we uh how we worship liturgy and sacraments morality how we live and then um the last is you know personal prayer how we pray when you take the four parts of the catechism the catechism was broken up into two sections the second section is always a numbered list the 12 articles of the creed the seven sacraments the 10 commandments and the seven petitions of the our father but the first sections are what you were talking about like it's the foundations that you need before you can even think about, hey, this is what a sacrament is, right? Uh, like the the whole thing of like, what do you mean believe? Like the nature of belief. What does it look like to believe? What does it look like for a man or woman whose whole life is governed by the idea that a dead guy 2,000 years ago rose again from the dead and he's actually God? Like what does that look like? in flesh and blood in ordinary men and women today. Yeah. You know, and I, can I, can I add yeah. a Please. quick thing to that? No, I, I, I'm, um, I think you, I think, yeah, man, I feel now I feel very owned by my same earlier about podcast, hot takes and the sun. <laughs> um, it should always be presented in like with the gospel message. Cause like the yeah. proclamation of the gospel heals and it reveals like it's, uh, this is the thing I heard on on um, Catholic stuff a couple of weeks ago, like, and it really uh, hit me. Like, just the power of the gospel when it when you know it's is proclaimed, and when you do that, and then you break down the notion of belief and God, and just these really heavy things that to some don't like, just like, um, what does this mean anymore? Like, you know, okay, so th- uh, there's power in that. There's this great uh podcast that i like uh called men and blazers and these two english guys always talk about they talk about the premier league and soccer and and there's this one dude who thinks very um deeply about stuff and he talks about how he um his issues with like the like english team and so the um the english team has a song until like the like national anthem is god save the queen and he talks about how heavy, because like the English 
have such high expectations for football because they created it. And there's this like, and it's really is like a reflection of like what they once were because there was this whole, like we were once great. And like, now we aren't. And it really comes out in their football. And he talks about how when you like watch these players before they have to play a like, national team game, hear a song like God Save the Queen, hearing things about the queen or God, these really heavy ideas that to them, what does it even mean any anymore? In a place where you were once great, where the stuff really like mattered, and like now it's not, and it doesn't. The English are very hostile to God. Yeah. They're very like tortured by by like who they, you know once were how do you reckon with that and i thought that was so revealing about the church because you know how do you reckon with what we say catholicism is for like the modern mind and um the only way to really do that i think is through the power of the gospel ultimately that's the only because that's like that's it that's the only but so i'm sorry i'm kind of going on a weird rant now no, I think that's um, awesome. I that's that's really fascinating. Yeah, yeah, and it just and it just like you, so uh, like we, we obviously have to address like belief and all these things, but like oh, without the gospel, it's pointless. And without you know, if it's if it's being proclaimed by people who don't really believe, well, well, so that's that's okay. Right, where you about to say that's the self justification of on campus. CCD, CCE, faith formation, RE, parish school of religion is so often the parents are not believers or they're not active in their faith if they are believers. And so we are going to come in between the parent and the kid and we're at least an hour a week going to give them what their parents are not giving them at home. So we are in the, uh, there's this great line from, I can't even remember, I think it was Joshua Mitchell. He's a Catholic philosopher or maybe poli sci guy, but, um, he has his phrase. <laughs> what the other? Animals? Well, I mean, he, he writes, writes on, on politics from a philosophical yeah, angle. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, and I, yeah, he yeah. always it's always politics. So I couldn't remember if he's a political philosopher or a poli sci professor. But his whole <laughs> thing is, and he's at um, oh, shoot, I think he's at Georgetown. But his whole thing is, or one of his uh, things was supplements are awesome as long as they don't become substitutes. And you can have yeah, like, like like a pill. To get vitamin D or vitamin A or m- marshmallow root or whatever the hell people get. Like, the supplement is good as a supplement. But the moment you say, you know what, I'm going to stop eating food and just take this, that's where yeah. you're crossing. Because there's other things than just the chemicals <laughs> themselves removed from the organic unity of a piece of food. And so he, he begins to lay out, like, things that are often very helpful – we can fixate our gaze on those things and kind of carve a niche around that helpful thing. But by creating that analysis, we've, it's like a dissected frog. You might know everything about a frog leg, but that frog can't live anymore once you've dissected it into a Bolivian. And so there, there's a, a movement of analysis that's good, but analysis is always dissecting. There needs to be this synthesis. And if you keep fixating on supplements they become substitutes. You can never give people the full picture of the faith. You can never give people the full picture of a political reality that actually builds people up instead of tears them down. You can't do this thing. And I think the emphasis has so often been on give them a book, talk to them for an hour. Really, it's like 20 minutes of solid catechesis. But 
I can a catechist at church can only be a supplement. In fact, in that book, the Christian art of or the art of teaching Christian doctrine, um, the guy says he says, here's the deal with the industrial revolution. Children's education in a parish was was tertiary and and supplemental at most. But with the arrival of the industrial revolution, parents were removed completely from the home. Now it's become everything, and this cannot stand. And that was his whole point of of the the introductory chapter of the book. He's like, you, we cannot conceive of a faith that is vibrant and taught for an hour by people who aren't their parents. Can I do a classic Luke pop culture? Hell yeah! Analogy. Okay, why why did why did like Neo's eyes hurt in the Matrix? Because he's never used them. Exactly. You know, so there's a thing where like his brain has done what he thinks is is like um, his sight. He thinks he's seen Alan before, but he actually he actually Alan never has. And when he finally does for the first time, it hurts. Yeah. When we're trying to do this, I think both of our experience can probably attest to this. It sucks. Yeah. It's never this clean cut. This is going well. I mean, it is a disaster. Like, it's a disaster on all accounts, and it feels quite often like a failure. Yeah. And um, I, you know, like I, you know, when I stop and think about like our, uh, so like this guy's high school group that me, that like me and Brad Verso um walked with for, I think from their sophomore year on like onward, these guys were getting, in my opinion, probably some of the best youth ministry formation in the country. Cause I think Brad is just that good yeah. at what, at what he does. And it still felt at times that we were like, Oh my gosh, these guys don't give a shit. <laughs> you know, like these guys just do not care. Yeah. And I, I know that's not true, you know, just because like, I've just seen them. I follow them on social media, but like, I can tell like, but it just, it, it, it and I won't ever, really know but that's the thing like what is what does a mother this is why i think i'm the balthasar's quote about paying attention to this to you know the saints and the church fathers is so important what is what does mother Teresa have to say that it isn't a success that counts it's it's faith yeah. and we did everything we could we really exhausted ourselves i would say in like you know to uh use saint paul's word to like for for these guys i don't know what else we could have done we did everything i mean everything and uh and i'm, and I'm very proud of like who these guys are and it was, it was a really awesome awesome experience but you can't like i don't walk away going we nailed that those guys are set for life it's yeah. like oh i hope this worked right. you know like it, and it's scary and it's hard and it's painful and you feel this like you know you don't get your reward there's no quarterly bonus for any of this stuff yeah and it's, and I just, it, I think it's very important that like, like I'm just going, you know, like if you really am looking like, like all of the good stuff, all the stuff that's good, all the stuff that like last is really violent and create and has, and it has a lot of work going to it. The cross birth, all that stuff. <laughs> like it just, it, it's not this like clean cut. There we go. Well packaged. Now everything makes sense. And I've conquered the world thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is, this is also the issue, right? Is 
the uh we're striving to the ideal of a finished product in high school and elementary like you're done you're complete now move on little kid on to yeah, the next yeah. conveyor belt human yep yep and yep. that's where that's where, okay so like thinking about that in terms of parish life here's the medium is the message okay so the medium is the elementary faith formation classroom or the middle school edge program or life teen or youth ministry or confirmation program that's the medium right so the weekly class the weekly youth group whatever and so you have to adapt the message to the model that you're using to the medium that you're using so what is my faith well i don't go to mass my family doesn't go to mass i go to this class in preparation to receive a sacrament i will maybe receive five times as an elementary kid you know or you know, a handful of times as a high school student or a middle school student. And so you begin to look back. And parents, to me, are shocked when their high school kid for confirmation is told they can't get confirmed because they're atheists. Like, they're like, what do you mean? And then they get in these screaming matches with their kids. No, we're Catholic. That's what we are. And it's like, really, Dad? You never came to Mass. You know? And so we, you cannot... As a supplement, hey, here's systematic organic catechesis. That's great if it's a supplement. But if it's meant to substitute what should be done in the home, then it becomes something that is very, very artificial and, like you said earlier, fake. But then you take the next step and you say, okay, well, if parents really are the primary educators of the children, then I need to stop making the medium be my classroom that I control, that I run, my my gym or youth room that I manage and I run and I set the lighting and stuff, it needs to be the family room. It needs to be the hearth and home, right? And I need to totally shift all of this stuff to that. And so the work of the parish needs to be becoming supplemental once again and not the center or the substitute. Well, and I, I you know, to, um, I just had a thought while you, you were uh, talking, that was really good, is, uh, there's nothing wrong with having a satellite campus. Yeah. If it's a lived reality of, you know, the church, like a concrete, if like, it's like a flesh and bones, you know? So like part of the answer could be that for a church, your size, you have to have these little hubs where these people can meet and actually be together and actually like live life as opposed to trying to connect to people who like, who actually, if you take a, if you take a look at like where they live, they they almost live an hour apart. Yeah. Because how can you really build a life together? Yeah. You know, when you have when when we baptize kids, we always say you're a part of this community. And there are times I think bullshit. What community? Tell me where is it? I don't I don't I'm the people. They don't they don't like know me. This isn't a community. This is a group that comes together to go to mass at a convenient time for them. Yeah. You know, and so um, I had another point as well, but this might veer into uh, the like pop culture stuff. Can we take kind of a slow turn into yeah. that? Or yeah, baby, let's move. So your boy's been watching ha- Hamilton, okay? And your boy now loves Hamilton. <laughs> now I'm one of those people. There's another. I have a few caveats. Can I tell you on what they are? Okay. Okay, one, the rapping isn't that good. Yeah, no, not at all. But it doesn't matter because the song, it's weird because the story and the songs and the way people sing are fantastic. So the rapping is just kind of fun. It's a fun, cute thing. 
that is just it's just how they're they're just um, they're just um, rhyming their script and it's fun and i enjoy that part but like the rapping isn't good let's be very clear about that <laughs> there's like one guy who's kind of good it's because he was a real um rapper but even his stuff is kind of it's kind of bland um two i don't like how they treat john adams <laughs> yeah because <laughs> i love john adams and he's precious to me and i don't like when people are just be very they're gonna be really lazy and not actually understand what his presidency entailed and how good of a president i think he actually was okay uh because if he had basically his big thing was now he went as far as to like he silenced the press and people got real angry about that but this is also a guy who like was terrified of the president becoming a king and having too much power but he thought the press was like was basically going to drive the country into a war with um, uh, France would have destroyed us. So I called the quasi war, I think. And he his big fear was if this because if this becomes like a full on war, we are like we are going to be destroyed. Yeah, and it will ruin everything. Like people like people would starve. It would just be awful. And so he took these extreme like measures to really avoid war with France to the point where now this is the guy who helped form the declaration. He said on his grave, he wanted it to say he avoided war with France. It was that he thought it was that big of a deal. And, um, I don't like how they treat him. They just try to treat him as this like fat, stupid guy who is just kind of in between George Washington and Thomas and Thomas Jefferson as, as like president. That bothered me, but that's fine. Uh, John Adams hated Hamilton, and Hamilton hated hated John Adams. So, um, and then some of the history—it's all, especially the all of the big stuff—is very accurate. Some of the small stuff are artistic choices that they that like they made, which aren't accurate. And I'm always like, like you can't really present that as I, I get what you're doing, but like. People again now will not understand that this is just an artist in an artistic in interpretation of this. Other than that, like he didn't like I don't I don't I don't want to spoil anything, so I won't. But other than that, I think it's fantastic. And one thing that I really like about it actually is the so I watched the one that's on, on Disney Plus. They have the original cast, and in all the main roles are like are minorities. Except for uh, King George III and one colonist um, loyalist. Those were white people. And one bad general. <clears throat> but my point is, I think it's great because it shows that, like, this is one of the great things about America. Is that, like, that's, it, this isn't, like, the founding fathers, just because they were white, doesn't mean that they are, like, white, the only for white people. They're the, they're like, it's everyone who's an American. It is their legacy as well. And it's the, and it's the like immigrant who just becomes an American. That is just as much his legacy as it is mine. A person who has been, who's born here. My whole, you know, I've been here my whole life. I have a family who has been in Ohio since the early um, 1700s. That's how Ohio and I, I, I am good gosh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's very cool that you can become American and that is just as much a part of who you are as your country as mine. 
And I think, you know, I think it's really cool that they say like, this is ours too, as opposed to rejecting it. And they point out all of the flaws who owned slaves, who tried to fight against it and stuff. But they all, but they were doing this thing like, this is part of our, because I just really don't like that because I'm, I think so often we get too attached to, oh, this was the white guy. This was a black guy. This therefore needs to be played by people who are, who are of that color. And in the theater, I mean, that's like back in the day, you would have um, men playing, like, playing play, like women's parts and vice versa. You know, it just was all about like the part and the character as opposed to the person. And I think what I really liked about Hamilton was there's this direct attempt to say, this is our culture too. This is part of our history as well. And we're going to, and we're going to express that by, you know, having, um, having like minorities play these parts. And I really liked that. Well, that was very, very cool. And I think as a church, and so to like tie it into the church, we have to own who we are. And you have to say, this is a part of, my, of like who I am. And um, it has to, it has to be this lived reality or it's just always going to feel fake. That's all. Yeah. The, uh, I don't know. Like I, I get nervous with stuff like that because the symbolism of having, minorities play all the heroic characters and white people play all the bad characters also takes on other levels of meaning. You know what I mean? Like it's, it it is true. Like, did he intentionally say the reason why we have minorities playing these lead characters is a way of claiming? No, no, no. No, this is purely my own. Like, like, I think that's a really cool interpretation. I don't know if you heard this like idiot, well, I haven't read. I don't know what's going on in in the world. So yeah, no, assume. neither do I. Neither, neither do I. I. But I was, I was watching, watching some comedy com- thing on YouTube, and this guy was talking about how they're trying to cancel Jesus, and they literally uh, people are literally saying that Jesus himself is a sign of oppression because of white Jesus and all that stuff. And this comedian was like, "Listen, it's not just white Jesus; also Asian Jesus. It's also black Jesus. Have you seen Jesus? He takes the color. So does his mother. He takes the color of every culture that he's a part of, and he showed all these different images." As he put the guy on blast, but there's this element of like the identify, like how you said it, like by having minorities play these roles, we're saying we are the inheritors of a culture that is just as much ours. That's, That's a cool inter- interpretation. The other interpretation is look at how all these white people are evil villains, and you know, which many yeah, people but I don't I'm think sure doing. I, yeah, true, true. That's what I'm saying. Like. The 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 many valence, <laughs> the multivalent meaning of art can pull out other interpretations because you know there are people being like, oh, who's the only white person on the cast? Oh, that's right, King George the Third. Oh, and a loyalist reporter. You know, like that's the the issue with the the multivalence, right? Like that art takes, that imagery takes, that entertainment takes, right? They have to have the stupid bumbling idiot, even if that's not historically accurate. Because the comic relief element of it and the, the, the faux villain element of it is important to the narrative, even though that's not at all what happened in the past. And people will legit hate John Adams because of watching Hamilton 500 times. But that's just because people are stupid. Right. But we all are like that. Yeah. That's, that's very, yeah. Well, I think that's, that's just why you have to um, – I don't think you then just get rid of – I don't think the answer is to really get rid of the mediums. No. 
and I'm not saying that I like that is that's I'm not saying that you are saying that, but I think you can appreciate Hamilton for what it like. You can appreciate the um, the like amazing songs that have stupid rapping because the, the rapping doesn't matter because the songs are so good. There are ways to uh, appreciate, like test everything, hold on, hold on to the good. There are ways to appreciate the good stuff and reject the bad stuff and still go, this is really good and important. And a real, like, like here's the thing, the bulk of these cultural like stuff that we tend to like lose our minds over have no legs. Yeah. Like they don't like this, you know, um, okay. I, I, I love Matt Fred very, very much. He's a friend. I love him. He's he had this listening. tweet one time. Yeah, I know, Matt. So sorry, this is how I'm talking with you about this. I would love to talk with um, He had this tweet where he said, Beyonce and Jay-Z aren't going to outlast the Mona Lisa. And his point was that all this like modern stuff that we, I think it's his point, that we put such like, such emphasis on, it's not going to, like it doesn't have the legs that like, you know, classic art has. And the only counterpoint to that I would have, and, I, and I've really put some, I put some like uh, thought into this, is that the bulk of stuff doesn't last, you know, and that's why the classics are the classics because somehow they last, and it's because of their depth and all this other stuff that they do. So, like back in the day, so one of the most popular forms of of entertainment were these panoramas that would be football fields fields in length. That would depict the story of the Mississippi or, you know, like of the Bible. Everyone would go. It was the MCU of their time. It was such a big deal. And none of us know what they are. <laughs> like yeah. none of us go and talk about them. None of us go, and like, and that's okay. Cause that's what was big and important for their time. And there are cultural things of, of, of the time that are, can be very important in that time period. Cause like, for America, these panoramas, especially as as a you know country that was basically going through puberty, that like was a this is your body moment. Here's what's happening to it, <laughs> like, <laughs> and it's, and it was a really good thing because people could understand like what the heck was going on because all of a sudden you just added all these states and you're out in you know Ohio. And you're like, I've never been past Indiana. What the hell are you talking about? The Rockies? What? But now you could you could see it, experience it in a breathtaking way. And my point is that like these cultural things like Hamilton, they're not like sometimes when people freak out about, oh, like they made the white people look bad. I don't think that's really true, but I could see why you'd make that point. Because at first it's like the only white people that are prominent are the idiots. But the character of King um, George III is really interesting. And the way the guy um, does it is kind of cool and hilarious and fascinating. <laughs> and it's tempting to give it more weight than it actually deserves. Yeah. And I think it's not a statement on like, you know, America or anything. It's just a cool play. I hope I didn't bash Matt Fred. That was not my intent. <laughs> Matt, Matt, I love you. Kiss, kiss. Well, Luke, I think uh, judging by the uh, movement of the cars, we should probably wrap this episode up. 
<laughs> it's driving you so crazy, isn't it? Just a little, especially when that truck was backing up. Beep. Well, the the best part about all of this is I'm clearly like recording a podcast because <laughs> like people are staring at me where I'm like, what St. Paul is saying is, <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, oh, it's a white guy in his thirties pot podcaster, guarantee you. Uh, um, we didn't even get a chance to talk about any of the pop culture stuff. I thought we were going to talk about the whole episode. No, I think we're going to do a master episode on Harry Potter. I have taken a copious amount of notes. <laughs> and I've done um, nothing but um, but think about it. <laughs> While playing FIFA, 